Welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. Welcome to our Christmas special. I'm Jenna Mathiason, an objects conservative based in Carmarthenshire. And I'm Chloe Ramsey, an objects conservative based in Greater Manchester. Welcome to the Christmas special. We are obviously super festive. Um, at least two of us are wearing <laughs> Christmas jumpers. I'm sorry, I'm not. No, don't worry. It just means that I have to get your Christmas jumper at some point. That's all it means. Can it be nitrile purple, please? <laughs> I, the least I Christmassy colour ever. <laughs> I mean, I can't guarantee it because that seems like a difficult thing to do unless yeah, I yeah, knit yeah. it. And I am no knitter, right? Oh, that one's on me, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> however, I have mulled wine to manual. I also oh, have man. a mince pie to make myself feel extra festive. Oh my god. And to help us with our festiveness, we have a special guest host. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, my name is Anna Pajajski. I'm a material scientist and writer. I live in London and I'm wearing a Christmas jumper, but I don't have any festive tipples within reaching distance. So I'm feeling pretty sad right now. Oh no! <laughs> God, if I, could, well, I mean, welcome. I mean, hi. Yeah, that's true. Also, hi. Welcome back because you've been on the show before and it's really nice to have you back. Yay. Thank you for joining us. Thank you us. for having me back. I wish I could transport some magical Christmas spirits in the most literal sense uh, to you at this very moment in time. For that pun, I will be delighted. <laughs> will you, in fact, now pour your presumably port, Chloe? Because you port or sherry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that was beautiful. Oh, that is a satisfying noise. Oh my God. I want that as my like ringtone to wake me up in the morning. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I now get to drink the port. <laughs> Excellent. Well, welcome everyone to the Cheers. show. This is actually our fifth Christmas special. Oh my God. Wow. What? So today I thought we would talk about Christmassy things, Christmassy materials in particular, because uh-huh. I am about that. And what better topic with a material scientist? I know, mm-hmm. exactly. It's almost exactly. as if we planned this. It's like <laughs> we did it on purpose. <laughs> I thought we could have a think about, first of all, like what sort of Christmassy materials are around us, uh, what our favourites might be, what the most horrifying ones might be, and also what we might find, like sneaking into museum collections and sneaking into archives and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I had a little think about what we might find in collections, and I suppose... Ornaments is a very broad term. Mm-hmm. They can be things that hang in trees or things that are uh, seasonal tat. <laughs> and we have things like fairy lights in their different incarnations. You know, um, nowadays they're LEDs, but they haven't always been, right? Greeting cards, of course, a staple nowadays. A lot of these things Victorians just made up, which I'm really enjoying, by the way, from a history point of view. It's just stuff the Victorians really fancied and we've kept going. I was thinking ceramics, but that's because I started thinking about what's in my sort of parents' house. Yeah, so I was about to say, I, I knew you were going to bring up the parents' the parents' <laughs> decorations, because you say a lot of things were invented by the Victorians, but it's actually not far off that we probably have hand-me-down Christmas things. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Like... You know, the Christmas angel at the top of the tree or something. And that's might not be that common for it to actually be Victorian, but it's not that far off. Like, you know, great, great grandmothers type thing. Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Absolutely yeah. true. And I quite like that. I'm just curious, what's what's a potential hand-me-down or treasured family heirloom around Christmas for some of us? So on my mum's side of the family, we have a treasured family heirloom, which may well be approaching Victorian times age it was definitely my great great grandmother she had a little sugar model of father christmas probably about two and a half three inches tall and that goes on the christmas cake every single christmas oh my god it's literally just made of like sugar it's like a sugar model i guess a bit like icing it's probably got some maybe some egg whites in there to mm. bind it together or something mm-hmm. but it's painted in like red and green oh well painted and it's just this little father christmas so he goes on our christmas cake every year Amazing. and um, 
yeah, that's something that has lasted in the family for decades and decades. That is amazing. And that's extra fun because I feel like that's something I've brought up before is that my mum still hangs in her Christmas tree some sugar decorations. It's like spritzed sugar that mm. are like in the shapes of hearts and stars and stuff. Quite thick, quite dense. They're not as delicate yeah. as they sound. They're quite chunky boys. And, and they <laughs> hang in the tree every year. And uh, I think they're probably great grandparents right yeah. they're old they look really good sugar basically lasts indefinitely unless something eats it so i was gonna ask what do these things look like is there any sign of yellowing they're very um so my, ours aren't painted so i thought it was interesting that the santa is painted that's cool mm. i wonder what they painted it with but the ones that my mum has, like, I think one is possibly, must have had food colouring in it somehow mm. because it's like a light green, like a mint green, but it's not mm -hmm. painted. It's the material that's that colour. And mm. then the others are just plain white. So just like plain sugar paste of some description. But again, mm. I think there must be quite a lot of egg white in there somehow. I don't know yeah. why I've always thought that, but it, it's just something about it that they're really hard. Like you would have to really try to smash them as well. So they're surprisingly durable. And I say that because we've had cats all of my upbringing and they <laughs> love knocking over the Christmas tree and they've survived every time. <laughs> Same with Father Christmas. Incredibly dense, very solid, like completely... Um, there's, there's no hollow aspects to it. So mm. It's just a kind of mm. dense, solid figurine in the rough shape of a Father Christmas. Um, yeah, I don't know what he was painted with. For memory, it's just kind of the sugar itself is white and then on it has been painted like green and red. Yeah. Mm. Um, but generally, I think some of the maybe sharper corners of the model have been sort of knocked away over time. Mm -hmm. So I think he might be missing his nose. And possibly Aww. like a bit of a foot. Oh dear. <laughs> um, but he still stands up on his own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Some amounts of knocks and bruises are to be expected. Mm. But yeah, that's fun. I like that we both have weird sugar creations. That's great. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that is weird. And like, I would consider sugar to be a substance that like doesn't really last super long. Oh, interesting. Tell me why. Well, because it's very hygroscopic, it it draws in moisture from the air. So I would just imagine that it would, over time, keep drawing in moisture and then eventually go a bit just manky and mouldy. That is a good point. You know, it does suck up moisture like nothing else. But somehow these creations have somehow just withstood mm. stuff. I mean, honestly, um, they're just kept in, in the attic. Now, granted, Sweden's climate is a lot drier in terms of, you know, the RH just naturally mm. but even then they're just in the attic but they're fine isn't that weird mm. a material mystery i do have some sugar things in my collection and they have done the hygroscopic it's gone sticky thing ah, interesting Ugh. but then it is very damp in that store reasonably damp in that store so it could mm. just be the how dry it was to begin with mm. yeah and the storage conditions have been lucky, potentially. Maybe. Oh, mm. I love a good mystery. Because if it's dried out, there's nothing. That, why? Why would it? Yeah. Why would it deteriorate? If it's and for the most part, it's not on display, is it? It's going to be in yeah. a dark drawer. That's true. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. I did start thinking about this because I was reading up about what causes. I was going to say what causes Christmas smells. That's not right. I meant what makes <laughs> Christmas trees smell. <laughs> Oh, yes. Ah, and yes. there's sorts of oils and stuff that, you know, like, they're released and are pleasant smelling because that's a big deal for me is having a real Christmas mm -hmm. tree and having it Same. smell right, which I know isn't for everyone. Loads of people don't like that and loads of people prefer a plastic tree and that's all fine. Like, I can see all the benefits of both, right? I know that for, for some people, like, chopping down a tree and putting it in, inside for a bit to die is maybe not <laughs> <laughs> the most fun thing ever. So festive. So festive. <laughs> <laughs> to dying of the tree um <laughs> but basically that it was about the smells and i was curious about what made the smells and stuff like stuff like that and they were like all volatile sort of compounds which mm. makes sense but then i'm like but every, or everything pretty and precious to me that i put in the tree every year is just getting super exposed to all of these volatile uh, compounds <laughs> and then i started fretting but then it's like but it's only in the tree for a short time so a really short time even if I did that for my entire life, like they would still not get exposed to very much stuff because the rest of the time they're just in storage and they're well away from stuff like that. 
And it's pretty well ventilated as well around the tree. It's not like you're shutting it all in a box. I suppose it's not in a display case, so I suppose... No. Yeah, that's a good point as well. I quite like that. But yeah... That's so interesting then. So do you have to take care of volatiles in the region of an object in case they what react with them in some way? Or like- Often, yeah. Um, obviously, mm. certain metals tarnish mm. really fast or start corroding if there's, you know, volatile acids mm. in the air, especially. So a lot of what we do is sort of manage things like um, make sure that things off gas for a certain amount of time. So it's not as intense for the objects before they go in an enclosure. But yeah, so I started stressing about the Christmas tree, which is completely unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> but then is the stuff that the tree is off gassing at the start of the process, at the start of its death, oh going to be acidic? <laughs> we've made this so dark already we have a little bit i don't know if it changes over time because honestly even quite a dead tree can still smell quite a lot so mm, true but if it's releasing whatever it i really want someone to do a science experiment with us now yes please if we could just it, i mean what is it releasing question one question two is it harmful because we do you know define harmful <laughs> well oh, that oh god is it I've not had enough port for that conversation on harm and what harm Fair. is in conservation. <laughs> the, the, the thing that jumped to my mind when you started talking about things to put on Christmas trees mm. and over history is obviously things that have changed massively just with the materials that we use. So before it may have been wood, sugar, apparently, <laughs> glass, <laughs> ceramic, potentially textile. Now it's mostly plastic i think would be fair to say mostly plastic even the textile stuff will be plastic textiles it's quite a lot of plastic that's true i suppose it will be synthetics rather than natural stuff although there is of course now it's swinging back in terms of trends for it to be more Uh, natural fibers Mm. and more um natural materials but Mm -hmm. it's also interesting to think about it from the very early beginnings a lot of stuff that went in the trees was edible stuff it was like apple slices and oh, orange yeah, slices and you know it, and bits of cinnamon stick and you know sort of whatever was lying about in some ways as well in sweden for example uh, people put a lot of sheep's wool hanging in trees for example because it was nice huh. and dangly and pretty that's cute it, sort of whatever was lying around could go in trees right and in some ways that's certainly true still you know whatever your children might be bringing home from having made at school might very well be something that was just lying around for a little bit <laughs> And had some string put on it. No <laughs> offense to your children's creations. They are surely marvelous. And we would love to see pictures. Um, but obviously there will be a lot of plastic things now. Although I think many of the other materials haven't necessarily gone away. It's just that they're, they're in maybe different proportions, for example. Um, I'd certainly say that there are a lot of glass ornaments still, for example. And maybe not as many metal ornaments as there used to be. It's hard to say. Uh, a lot of this is about sort of fashion as well, in some ways, like what's fashionable mm. at the moment, you know. But yeah, there's a very wide range of materials of things that we just put in trees, to be honest, uh, which is quite fun. Mm. I would say that probably the similar materials will be used. Obviously, the Victorians didn't have plastic, but I think plastic is just so much cheaper than all of the others that like everything mm-hmm. that was available previously will still be available it's just that there's now like the lower end of the cost scale has just been like massively extended mm-hmm. so that you can now get really really cheap stuff for the christmas tree which the majority of us let's face it would probably go for mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah just because you know to decorate a whole tree actually could be quite expensive and you want to be using this stuff again and again and again so you don't Mm -hmm. want it to be flimsy or easily breakable etc so actually for all those reasons plastic is probably quite a good material to reach for yeah i'll always have that this is it's a stupid anecdote and i don't even really like mr bean as a comedy sketch but there is a mr bean sketch that i just just have in my mind whenever i think about glass ornaments that he's in a department store and there's two baubles and he's trying to choose between each of them and to test them he throws one of them on the floor and it smashes and he throws the other one on the floor and it bounces back into his hand and he chooses that one obviously (laughs) and i'm like yeah that's 
<laughs> and it just sticks in my mind because I think why would anyone have glass ornaments? Obviously, it's because they're nicer there you go. than, you know, potentially plastic ones. But, I, you know, as you say, Jenny, cats in it. You know, <laughs> I don't want mm. tiny shards of glass in my carpet. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point, the durability of these things. I mean, obviously, mm. um, maybe a lot of the earlier materials weren't as durable or weren't even meant to be durable, which is sort of an mm-hmm. interesting notion that it was meant to be pretty just for the time, not necessarily last forever. But again, this might be a sort of a poor people, rich people thing as well mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, income and what was available. And if you could even keep anything for the next year, which, you know, for probably quite a lot of people probably wasn't an option. So maybe then you make a new paper garland from whatever is papers lying around um, every year and you know you burn it for warmth later yeah but also there's something so nice about like christmas traditions aren't they like that's why we love christmas like regardless of really you know what faith you subscribe to or none like the tradition of christmas at least in the country that i grew up in in the uk like that's what really is what people generally love about it yeah and so those sort of personal traditions and family traditions get really ingrained and kind of well loved and i find talking to my friends you know a lot of the traditions are around making things or doing things Mm. or decorating and so these objects that we get out you know every 12 months from our cellars or our attics or our little kitchen cupboards they get ingrained with so much meaning you know even if they are like relatively cheap plastic materials Mm -hmm. actually the fact that you do that and it's the ritual of it and it symbolizes you know coming together as a family or coming together with friends and sort of reflecting and having that time off work for lots of us (laughs) um Mm -hmm. it's for hopefully the majority of people it's quite kind of happy tradition and so these objects as weird as they might seem you know like a little random sugar model of a man like those objects get ingrained with so much meaning and kind of feeling for groups of people and families that yeah it's an interesting phenomenon of the value of stuff getting massively elevated simply by what it symbolizes yeah Mm -hmm. and you know I I sort of wonder if this is one of the reasons that there isn't more Christmas stuff in social history collections. Having worked in a few, I feel like there's always this conversation, say October, November time, people who are working in the museum but don't necessarily know the collection, sort of maybe the social media team go, what do we have that's Christmassy that we can put uh-huh. on social media? And the answer is always, we actually don't have that much, usually. Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. We have a couple of Christmas cards, um, some bits, and I, obviously this varies. But I always feel like it's not as much as people think, because maybe mm. I feel like there's maybe an emotional thing here of, A, people think, well, I have loads at home, so obviously the museum must have loads. And a secondary thing, because now I'm getting very psychological, about these are not things people give up. Christmas things are sacred. <laughs> Christmas things are full of meaning and memory, so we keep them. We don't donate them. Mm. And on the off chance that they aren't that special, they probably don't get donated precisely because of that. Like then they go to a charity shop, not a museum. Or if it has a lot of personal story, because, you know, nowadays we're sort of all about story in museums, that we want the personal story behind something when we accept something into the collection then people may just find that actually that's still too personal. That's, I still want to keep this. This is mine to treasure and I'm not going to give it to a museum. And I think that might actually be an interesting thing that I haven't really thought about before, (laughs) that maybe that's Mm. why there isn't as much as I think there is out there in collections. And are they considered potentially too domestic if, you know, with house clearances and stuff, if there, even if there is a domestic, uh, you know, a, a, a family story, mm. that's not the same as the social history stuff that museums do get offered, which tends to be more sort of, this person worked in this shop and had a relationship with this person and went to war at this time. Maybe. Christmas decorations have more of a sort of domestic attachment which isn't necessarily considered so important maybe and maybe Mm. because it is seasonal it sort of doesn't get Mm. considered when yeah say 
grandma dies and the house clearance happens. Like maybe mm-hmm. it's just one of those things of like, well, why would anyone want that? It's only used mm. once a year. So yeah. if it isn't important to us, why would it be important to anyone else? Even mm. if the story might be, well, we saw this on grandma's Christmas tree every single year. She made it in, I don't know, art school in Hamburg. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, like there might be a story there, but maybe it's not considered sort of shareable. Mm. Also, I think there's something interesting talking about family Christmases. Like the majority, at least in my family, like Christmas is obviously celebrated by the whole family, but it's particularly precious for children. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if there's an element of like, these objects are most precious to the youngest members of the family. And so Ooh. when it's the adults making the decisions about what to get rid of, they're going to be less sentimental about that stuff than the younger generations mm-hmm. would be. Maybe, yeah. 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 Oh, that's another interesting aspect. I quite like that. Mm. I want to think about plastics. Oh, God. So, <laughs> I know. Go on. So what you're saying, Anna, is that we are still collecting important things, but now they are plastic potentially so we're going to be trying to kind of curate our own you know family heirlooms essentially but Mm. a lot of the materials will be you know hard polystyrene or like a lot of things for pvc potentially yeah 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 i'm thinking polypropylene is the word that i was um, oh yeah struggling with Mm, polycarbonates as well Mm. yeah you know the hard plastic stuff would be polycarbonate yeah Yeah. and acrylics and things like that Mm. we have sort of unknown lifespans on a couple of those yeah we we have ideas but maybe not precise ideas although Mm. that being said we often don't have precise ideas for most things that we look after it's more (laughs) that we have a general sense of it as far i think we we're still working on trying to figure out maybe almost like milestones of what might be an average lifespan for a plastic object depending on Mm -hmm. the type of plastic depending on what else is in the object depending on the coatings etc Mm. Well, the general message is that they're going to go a bit yellow and a bit brittle and some of them might be a bit sticky. But then there's also coatings. Yeah. Because if you imagine the... I'm thinking of a hollow icicle bauble shape Mm. covered in a silver that does flake off. What's it made out of? Why is it flaking off? Yeah. In what way is it going to deteriorate further? I think it's a really good point that like the life of... Or the kind of the end of life of these objects is so difficult to ascertain especially mm-hmm. for you know you guys are professional materials people like <laughs> it's your job to work out what stuff is and what's going to happen to it but like uh-huh. the majority of us when we are standing in our kitchen looking at our recycling bin and looking at an object and thinking like can this go in i don't know what's it made of it doesn't say <laughs> like i don't know if this is recyclable so i'm just going to put it in the bin you know there's there's that element of it and i think as well it's only exacerbated when you have mixed materials in an object mm. so if you're looking at a plastic bauble you know most of us would probably put that rightly or wrongly in the recycling bin whereas if you've got an object that is a bit plastic and a bit metal yeah it's got a metal attachment what's it on it yeah yeah your examples of like that kind of iridescent mm. christmasy look <laughs> you yeah know, like the tinsel the baubles that is like kind of shiny that is probably very thin layers of aluminium uh-huh. like that that's what tinsel is is a composite of plastic and aluminium foil ah i didn't know that all of that kind of shiny stuff is generally very thin aluminium foil. And so that is incredibly difficult to recycle. Because yeah. <laughs> when you want to recycle that, you have to like disentangle those two materials. And when they're so closely bonded in this like really fine, in the example of tinsel, like really fine kind of spindly bits. Yeah. That's really, really difficult to do. And so I'm sure the majority of tinsel would end up in landfill or not being able to be recycled. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's changed my attitude to tinsel. Mm, I know. Evil tinsel. I like that you brought up tinsel as well, because tinsel used to be just shredded silver, like genuinely shredded silver. Yeah, but that's like pre-1900. So it was for rich people. It was a status symbol, and it used to just be shredded bits of silver. Much with the same look of today. It's just, you know, although slightly danglier, I would imagine. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just like a giant jellyfish made of silver. Um, (laughs) In the very early days, it was just silver because it was meant to be a status symbol. And then Uh after that, it moved to aluminium and even lead. But obviously, they did figure out that lead had some problems and so did aluminium. Mm -hmm. They are not very recyclable. They are a nightmare to deal with. Tinsel, not that great, people. Basically, you heard it here first. We should cancel tinsel. Cancel tinsel. Yeah. 
<laughs> Particularly also in museum collections, please. Tinsel is cancelled. Tinsel Everyone is cancelled. should replace it with something else. Yeah, something else. Other interesting thing that I read was about silver baubles. Traditionally, they were silvered using a silver nitrate solution that was used on the inside of the bauble, then followed by a concentrated ammonia solution, and then a glucose solution, which then caused the reduction of silver ions to silver metal, producing a shiny silver coating on the inside of the bauble only. Which, so I guess if it's on the inside, it wouldn't flake. But how weird is that? Well, silver nitrate was what was used in early black and white photography. Yes, that's true. So I guess it's the same kind of technology, right? And you just induce the oxidation or the other way around. You induce the reduction of it. And then they just thought, we'll do this on the inside of baubles. That's insane. I guess it's similar technology though, right? Because like, I think photography plays used to be glass. So if you had a glass bauble, oh, yeah. you could imagine why oh, they'd cool. go for that. It makes total sense that they probably one followed the other. Mm. That is so cool. Can we take a moment to think about how the fuck you'd conserve that? <laughs> if your layer started flaking off inside a bauble. I mean, you say that, but you would be able to get into it because you could just undo the metal or whatever hook, you know, because obviously it would have a opening. Yeah, but mm. exactly. The opening would be insanely fiddly. As I'm not saying it would be easy, but I think it would actually be doable. You'd have access. Yeah, you would have access, which is a lot better than a lot of objects. I'm sure there's been, like, how to conserve the ship in a bottle thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah for sure. There'll be for something sure. like that. But it just, you know, with the layers that are so fine, mm. I would love to hear if anyone's done any done anything like that. Oh, I that would, would as well. That would be so cool. But yeah, we do put an awful lot of different things in trees, and they are intriguing. Lights are, the interest, are an interesting one as well, because you already mentioned LEDs. Yeah. And mm. one of my sort of main you know family christmas tree decorations memories apart from i think i've mentioned her before the angel on the or the fairy on the top of the tree little ceramic faced 50s we think um and a compressed board body and little wings this truly sounds like it could be either sweet and adorable or truly horrifying oh no she's sweet and adorable okay in my memory <laughs> <laughs> Right. I'm gonna have to do some proper work on her. I think. I don't. I think. She, I think she's at my parents' house. Okay. But they're moving house soon, so it's gonna be. I'll have to rescue her. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. The other thing that really sticks in my mind is some truly magnificent multicolored Christmas lights. Oh, multicolored as well. Uh, yeah, mm. proper. Like each light is probably about two inches. What massive? I don't know why everyone's talking in terms of inches. <laughs> massive. Properly big. Oh wow! Glass, unscrewable bulbs. Okay, so and you had to check every single one. Yeah, yeah, because they're in series. Because it was on a yeah. single circuit. Of course, and yeah. Oh, was, yeah, 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 yeah. And you, I you, remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they got hot as well, so they were incandescent. Yeah, I was going to say if they're yeah. incandescent, then they will also get warm, which can yeah. be a problem in and of itself. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You don't, ooh, don't let them unattended. Ooh. You know, obviously, there's the incandescent bulb things. But another thing that sticks in my mind on the subject of Christmas tree illumination, fires. I mean, yeah. And putting candles in trees. Yeah, I mean, candles in trees are an interesting, intriguing thing to begin with. It, but still, sticking with the light bulbs, I mean, there are some absolutely intriguing things there about if how long you can keep that going for, because obviously you need to mm -hmm. replace light bulbs. Yeah, and light, exactly. That type of light bulb, probably not made in the right size for you anyway, but... Um, no. Even finding a replacement there might be very tricky, to be honest. Also, sort of depending on when it was made, the coating on the wires could mm. become sticky or friable or weird mm -hmm. because obviously mm -hmm. usually some sort of plastic that isn't actually that great in terms of aging. I remember these lights from, you know, the earliest memories, like three years old, you know, to 17. Yeah, sure. So they were around for a while. This is fun because this is almost more of a family history discussion than it is a, yeah, yeah, a, a, yeah. a conservation one in terms of a museum setting. Because in a museum, I am almost certain that if um, a museum acquires a box of lights, it will remain in the box. It will be, mm -hmm. you know, neatly laid out in the box and it will be about the retail packaging and mm -hmm. opening up the box and like seeing them, but not actually unraveling them or plugging them in. So it's much more about maintaining in a family setting, which is very important from uh, you know a family perspective and you know living your nostalgia dreams <laughs> that is very important so that's super interesting but then if you were to accession something like that 
in a collection, say they were... Oh, please don't say some... they're part of an artwork or something, because then you have to keep them going. <laughs> well, the, I was about to say, if they are accessioned as Mrs. Somebody or Other invented something, something super important, and she was inspired by oh. these sets of lights that was always used in this Christmas setting, blah, blah, blah. And it was the illumination of the lights that inspired the blah, 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 blah. Surely then the lights would not be in packaging. They would be in amongst other things. And it would be the illumination of the lights that would be the important aspect of the thing. You would have to keep them working. Oh, go listen to our dynamic objects episode. (laughs) So it would be the illumination that would be interesting. Mm, yeah i can see that but you wouldn't necessarily we wouldn't be able to replace bulbs yeah although that that may just be part of the deal that we'll display it for as long as is possible and then eventually it will become worn out essentially like one bulb will go and then we can't do that anymore yeah you'd have to record it visually or something yes interesting conundrum i like it in a way that i hate (laughs) um it's (laughs) it is fun because i also have a box of lights that i would like to keep going although i think i i think i can get away with maybe replacing them with leds because it's not really about the light itself it's actually Mm -hmm. about the shape of the covering that goes over the bulb Mm. and is that plastic or is that glass glass actually oh i know uh, this is old school it sort of looks like a weird snowy star thing they're really weird mm. they're really weird but i've never seen anything like them and they were always in the christmas tree growing up it's interesting that lights can be important like at all because surely it can be any old fairy lights but actually maybe it can't maybe it can't i think my concerns with fire safety and plastics deterioration makes me think oh you know what modern led lights from ikea they're great aren't they <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> so we know LEDs last for a while, but I'm curious what the materials around them, how they last. Mm-hmm. Because just because we know that LEDs have a very long lifespan doesn't necessarily mean that all of the things around the materials them do. Are. Yeah. But that may be a very separate topic, to be honest. But candles, you brought up candles and Jesus Christ candles. But candles in Christmas trees, totally a thing. I have loads of little, almost like clippy things that clip onto the branches and you put a candle in. The real one? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Uh, now, I, I have not <laughs> I used... I thought it was just like mad Victorians that did that because they didn't mind yeah, the house burning down. <laughs> I have not used them. They are antique. Oh, no, it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why there aren't very many uh, really old Christmas decorations. Mm, they're more exactly. <laughs> there you go you've solved it i i have not used them with real candles but i do have a box full of them and every now and then i will take them out and i will examine them and they are like they're made of like cheap tin or something Mm -hmm. and with like Mm. a a single uh, metal coil or spring even that's obviously iron because they rust but candles in a more general sense probably do end up in collections to be honest because sometimes you get really ornamental strange candles or countdown candles you know like once the countdown mm. to christmas i bet that stuff does it end up oh, in yeah, in museums wax is a weird one because obviously a lot of modern candles are paraffin wax mm-hmm. um or the bog standard candle tends to be paraffin wax which ages okay but you know you want to make sure that you're not near a heat source of course <laughs> so chemically what happens to wax Do you mean when it melts or when the candle burns? And when it's subjected to high humidity, for example. Oh, I don't know about humidity. I mean, if it's oily, then it won't really get affected by humidity, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it should repel that pretty well. Yeah, unless there's a coating on it that isn't. Yeah, sure. Possibly stuff printed on a candle might react poorly Mm. to things like humidity. So the Mm -hmm. adherence would stop being quite as good depending on what they've used. Mm -hmm. I seem to recall um, a lot of markings on candles because now I'm thinking of the countdown candles again, where it's like light it a little bit every day. They tend to be almost like rub-on transfers. They're sort of applied. Ah. They must be pressure applied quite gently or something. Mm. That means that they can't have a tremendously strong bond. So I would imagine once you start messing with the RH, maybe that would go. How about when they burn then and when they melt? So I guess like when a candle burns, what's happening is the wax kind of melting into a little pool and mm-hmm. then through capillary forces, it is drawn upwards through the wick of the candle mm-hmm. and then it's the wax that burns. So it's basically just combusting mm-hmm. and the chemical reactions are forming light and heat, which is your little flame. Mm-hmm. 
I have contacted you, Jenny, I think, about the candle collection that I've got, but they're not sort of festive or anything. They're political figures. <laughs> I mean, that's actually amazing. Yeah. And I don't even know what the colorant is, so it's it's not particularly well affixed. It does transfer Ooh. quite easily. Ooh, that's not good. I feel like we've got as far as saying that maybe ceramics would come up in our different... Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Immediately, I thought of a, basically some tableware that my parents have. I don't know if this mm. is a thing that other people's parents do because mine are quite old. <laughs> I say that with love. They're early to mid 70s and they have special tableware that they bring out every Christmas. Yeah. There's special yep. plates, special yep, bowls. Yeah, we do. Yep. I have a very mixed emotional response to these things because on the one hand, I love them because it's tradition and it truly feels like Christmas when the ugly bowls are on the table. On the other hand, they are yep. ugly as sin. <laughs> <laughs> are they like specially Christmas themed or are they just the posh no, crockery that they, comes they out? They are truly Christmas themed. They've got oh, like wow. little... Okay. Yes. This, the edges of the bowls look like little wreaths almost, okay. like they have evergreen things on them. And then it's like fake embroidered. Obviously, it's not embroidered, but it looks like cross-stitch in the ceramic. Mm -hmm. Basically saying Merry Christmas. It's like extremely kitsch. Mm -hmm. It sounds amazing. I know that my other half hates it. But on the other hand, I'm like, I think I need to look after this forever. You 100% do. And uh, I wonder if more people have this. That's the thing that sort of surprises me that I don't see more in collections. Because social history museums do tend to have an absolute metric ton of ceramics of all types, mm. usually commemorative or special occasions. So it sort of surprises me that I don't see more of the sort of Christmas tableware and stuff like that in collections. Although I have come across one or two jugs with like robins and holly on them so but i guess you know this is the stuff that you would inherit through the family yeah. right so it would tend to be reused and because it's only used once a year it's not going to have all that wear and tear that you would have for your everyday crockery yeah yeah exactly people would want to keep that stuff in the family and keep the tradition going yeah mm. we have the christmas dragon plates wait what they're, we, and we're not sure why they're called dragon plates. I'm not even sure if the little red creatures on them are dragons. I think they might be. This sounds mental. I love it. Um, I think they're Edwardian. Okay. Like 19, early 1900s-ish. I think that's them and there's a number of those. And I think that there are matching, yes, there are matching, there are plates, matching bowls and um, importantly, a matching gravy boat with a lid. Oh, my wow. God. I know. And every year they come down and I've got to wash them because they've got dusty or something. You want to freshen them up before you eat <laughs> stuff off them, obviously. This sounds immense. As soon as I started conservation, I was like, oh, oh, this feels, oh, there's a crack in this. Oh. <laughs> Not noticed that before. And I'm just dunking them in some hot water and giving them a scrub. Yeah. Oh, dear. But as you say, it's only once a year. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. That's so true. So it's not so bad. And if we didn't use them, what would be the point? Yeah, exactly. At some point, I must see these festive dragons because that sounds insane. <laughs> You'll probably look at them. Well, I'll I'll see if I can get my my parents to take a photo of the gravy boat or something. I've never heard of Christmas dragons. <laughs> it, they're not Christmas plates. They are plates that are used because they're special okay. rather than mm, yeah, because okay. they are, like, as you That's say. That's the other Anna. type of distinction, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm. That's the same with my family. They've got like the special plates that would come out like when people come around for dinner or oh, at yeah. Christmas. Mm -hmm. or, like, the nice ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that will be like the special occasion crockery. So I have a question though. Like I feel like all of us are like broadly a similar age. What age do you get to when you have more than one set of crockery and you can, and one of those is a nice set that is the Christmas crockery? Because I personally have not got to that stage <laughs> <No>. yet. <laughs> well, who has the space these days? Oh, who has the space, kept? guys? I was going to say, I move house regularly. I can't do that. No, exactly. Imagine. Imagine. I barely have enough space in my cupboards for the plates that I need. I know, I don't know how they do it. And the cutlery that I use. You know what, I think maybe older people just have access to a special pocket dimension that we just don't know about yet. <laughs> maybe mm. once we get to 40, they tell us. Yes. Oh my God, they, yeah. Maybe. I think so. It's like manual. a special TARDIS thing that exists in everyone's attic. Mm. I think that maybe that it. Be it. Maybe it. That must be it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to keep going with my mismatched bowls from being a student still. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, do we think... 
going to change the sort of Ooh. material culture of Christmas. As in, can mm-hmm. people inherit their special plates? Or- yeah. Can people inherit the special plates? Can they collect their own special Christmas mm-hmm. things? Can they retain their special Christmas things? If you spend your whole life renting and moving around a lot for mm-hmm. work, which is much more common these days, true. would you bother carting this stuff around? Because mm. I certainly would not prioritise an entire <laughs> kitchenware set yeah. and the matching tablecloths. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that it's Bollocks a to that. really good like anthropological question. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, something that hasn't been considered. I mean, yeah. granted, it's probably more important to you know tell people that what we really need is like reliable working practices and <laughs> ability to settle down if you want to and stuff. But you know, are people going to be changing the way they celebrate Christmas? That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the really big question. <laughs> Today it is. For today only it is. For today it is, yeah. (laughs) There is something that occurred to me whilst we were talking about, you know, Christmas dinner plates and keeping stuff around for every year and stuff like that. There is something that we, or has traditionally been kept that is a foodstuff, and that's Christmas pudding and Christmas cake. Mm. In the UK, at least. I don't know what it's like in other countries. Jenny's facial expression is like expectant confused like what are you talking about (laughs) have you heard of this tradition of keeping your christmas cake no is this like the wedding cake thing or like you keep a slice a little bit a bit similar oh yeah so it's not uncommon i wouldn't say to have a really old christmas pudding around (laughs) like i've whole i've heard of people like keeping christmas pudding and going, oh, well, next year it'll be fine still. Yep. Not that I appreciate that in terms of a, ugh, I don't like the idea of that at all, but it's a thing. Oh my God. And in terms, it's because Christmas cake is very similar to traditional wedding cake. I'm going to be quietly revolted, but that's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's because of all the alcohol. That makes sense. I suppose it is, um, yeah, I suppose it is truly long shelf life food. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't aware of that as a uh, practice, shall we say? But that's fun. What I'd like to know is, firstly, what's happening chemically, materially, almost nothing. Christmas cake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like it's like an inert ceramic (laughs) slab. It's like a paving slab. But I would like to know whether people have Christmas cake in their collections. That's a good point. Because what they do, with, we've talked about this before, I'm sure, but in maybe in wedding cakes. Yeah, we've talked wedding cakes. And I definitely have seen people have old Christmas pudding, mm-hmm. particularly the kind that came in tins. Yes, yes. In collections. And I always worry about food in collections, to be honest. But um, mm. yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there was also Christmas cake. People write in, especially if you're a social history curator. I want to know about your weird Christmas cakes. Um, (laughs) For sure. I suppose um, something that used to be, well, something that was inspired by a food, but isn't a food, is Christmas crackers. Because it was inspired by a French sweet and became this mad thing. Hmm. which I love. Again, 1800s people. It was the time to do strange things. And it, it was a London invention as well, which I really enjoy. Aww. Inspired by French wow. sweets, but it was a London invention. And the kind that goes bang was really perfected in the 1860s. They love exploding things in the 1860s. Oh, they really they? do. They really enjoyed using uh, silver fulminate in the actual crackers and they still do a lot of the time it isn't necessarily always that but often it is the sort of thing that goes bang in crackers is essentially one sliver of silver fulminate and one of an abrasive so they just rub against each other when Mm. you pull and that's what creates the whole explosion it's an explosive which is why Mm. you can't take it on airplanes uh, depending on the airline of course Um, and you usually can't ship them internationally because again you're shipping explosives even though they're tiny tiny amounts yeah so they use really tiny amounts in christmas crackers obviously because Anything else would obviously be really dangerous and you don't yeah. want that. Um, but it still, it's, it has a really niche purpose now because it's it's just really, really volatile, which is quite fun. Um, but yeah, so Christmas crackers were basically invented 
sort of, yeah, 1800s, basically. And the kind that goes boom, Mm -hmm. 1860s. But it's fun to think about how many Christmas crackers must be in collections, because actually quite a lot of people will probably have at least one or two crackers, I would say, even if they're really old. Do they become more volatile over time? What happens to the material composition of the silver fulminate, did you say? What what did you say? I can't Mm -hmm. say for certain, but Mm -hmm. what I read about it was that it actually has surprisingly weak bonds. So if anything, it probably breaks down. So it's probably no longer going to be an explosive crack once it's been in storage Mm. for a while. Because basically it reacts with oxygen and nitrogen and stuff and it's just going to stop being a cracker, essentially. (laughs) Um, And then it's just a paper tube with some fun things inside. (laughs) But it's sort of fun to think about what the other materials in Christmas crackers might be. Uh So obviously the sort of the cardboard sleeve is sometimes card. It can be uh, foiled card often or laminated Mm. if it's quite modern. And would that be plastic coating, do you think, or Mm. aluminium? Probably both, to be honest, depending on the age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. So, you know, that's, again, because this is adjacent to Christmas cards, because I tried looking into what are Christmas cards sort Mm. of made of, because obviously the card is cellulose, that's fine. Like this is, you know, this is paper pulp or wood pulp, but Mm -hmm. what is it laminated with? And I just didn't really find anything. And I don't know whether that's, it's not widely published or people haven't really looked into what's made, what greeting cards are made of. I would really love to hear from a paper conservator because there's bound to be someone doing some research out there, but I bet mm. it's locked away in some sort of research journal or something that I can't <laughs> access. But I would love to hear about what like sort of cards were historically coated with and what they are coated with now, um, mm. because I'm surprised at how little I can find about that stuff. You know, the, even the cracker cards, you know, like they... The, the cardboard tube of them would be, you know, different materials. And then everyone, in uh, each one usually includes a hat, a toy and a joke. The joke will be written on a small paper note, which is fine. But the toy can be plastic or metal or wood mm. or, you know, loads of different materials. And I'm, um, depending on what's happening inside the tube, they may or may not react. And over time, depending on storage, start rusting through or... Yeah, that would be a candidate uh, x-ray or something, wouldn't it? Oh, that would be so fun. X-ray mm. Christmas crackers. Oh. How fun would that be? God, I hope someone's done that. But otherwise, it's a sort of like nightmare kinder egg, isn't it? Like <laughs> what could possibly... Like over time, you've got no idea what materials you're looking at. Oh, yeah, mm. that's true. Unless you, you know went inside the end you can get little endoscopes and stuff no that's true yeah you totally can and one day i will play with one Uh, also it got me thinking of like tissue paper because obviously the hats these days are usually made of tissue paper although they can be made Mm -hmm. of like foiled paper and some other paper types as well depending on how fancy you're getting but usually it's tissue paper now that's gonna be quite acidic i should think and god knows what colorants they're using because usually the color on tissue paper does tend to run quite a bit as well if it gets wet for example Mm. it goes really funny with age in terms of like how it yellows Mm-hmm. And how yeah. the color sort of drains out of it. And again, this is less of a problem if it's inside a cracker, I suppose. It's a problem, but you're not going to see it. As for if it's uh, a cracker hat that's outside of a cracker and is exposed to light, that would be sort of interesting because it would quite quickly stop looking like a cracker hat. Highly brittle, as yeah. And I suppose if it's got damp, it will respond really uh, dramatically to that as well. Oh, definitely. Nightmare Kinder Egg is probably my favourite takeaway from the cracker <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I struggled finding out what wrapping paper is made of because, again, it'll oh, be similar, loads. I suppose. Yeah, but again, it'll mm-hmm. be different coatings and yeah. different ways yeah. of treating it. Even putting foil on them because there's quite a lot of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a, it's a recycling nightmare, and B, it is surprisingly difficult to actually find some information about it. Because again, everything written is sort of about how difficult it is to recycle. It's not mm. really telling me anything about the different layers or um, the different mm. materials that go into it. So that bit was a little bit tricky. I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. Like it would be layers of very fine, obviously the paper itself and then mm. probably plastic coatings to make it shiny or glossy and metallic, probably thin layers of aluminium foil to make it shiny. Mm-hmm. An absolute recycling nightmare. And I would imagine a conservation nightmare as well, because all of those materials together would 
have different properties, different strengths, different mm-hmm. you know ways that they would react to bending. A lot of the reason that we use paper is to bend it round and fold it mm-hmm. and stuff. So all of that manipulation, like mechanical manipulation, would definitely affect the way that the materials are bonded together. I've just remembered one of the other things that I that occurred to me when I was thinking about materials um at christmas christmas materials Mm. and that is like christmas diorama props and things well like nativity sets or what are we doing things like that but the thing that sprung to mind is in terms of um materials use what is fake snow (laughs) because i know that fake snow used to be asbestos oh did it oh god i know I don't think it used to be always asbestos. Yeah. But I would imagine it can be a variety of things. But the fake snow that you, you know, you add water to and it, like you get a bag of it and you add water to it and it becomes snow. Oh, right. That stuff is sodium polyacrylate. Yeah, correct. What is that? What's What's our science explanation of that? Uh, it's it's a hydrogel, I think. So it's yeah. it's a kind of plastic material that, when it gets wet, water molecules can fit really easily in between the plastic molecules. Oh. Um, and it's the same stuff that you would get in like babies' nappies, like hyperabsorbent uh, polymers. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. When it gets wet, it becomes kind of fluffy, and that's what gives mm-hmm. you the fake snow effect. Oh wow! Yeah, it can absorb something like three hundred times. It's it's mm. own weight in water so it's like insanely absorbent is that an environmental nightmare in terms of like not being very easily recycled and probably ending up in landfill yeah i would say so ultimately it's just carbon oxygen and sodium but even then i would imagine the process of trying to make anything again with that would be really hard and yeah. mm-hmm. probably too energy intensive so yeah it will probably just be Definitely. landfill so fake snow, but the stuff they put in snow globes it is not necessarily the same stuff as that. Because obviously it can't absorb water because that would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what they use in snow globes tends to be benzoic acid because it's it's soluble in hot water but not in cold water. So it's what? The, so the idea being that because it will be in cold water, it creates a sort of it sort of flakes, so it looks like snow. So what would happen if you accidentally heated up your snow globe? Then it wouldn't have snow anymore. It would dissolve. Yeah. yeah. It just and then when you cooled it down, would it precipitate back out? It totally would. In bits or in a chunk? In bits. Oh, right. Okay. I'm guessing it doesn't form strong bonds. That's why it will be little bits, I should yeah. think. But now I'm probably overthinking it. But I should think that's probably Oh, no, this is, this is exactly why we're having a materials episode. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I reckon that's how they would make the little bits in the first place. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, so if you cooled your snow globe down, you'd get more snow. Or potentially. Yeah, potentially you would get a tiny bit more snow. So in the summer, your snow globe has less snow oh, than in the winter. That's adorable. I want to get a snow globe and try that now. Yeah, me too. Is it all the same? I mean, I cannot possibly answer that. And I can't imagine it's the same with all things because I'm just thinking of like, I've definitely bought stuff at like Hobbycraft. That's just yeah. like a powder that you just put in. And that's definitely mm. not benzoic acid. That'll just be like, presumably little bits of plastic flake. Bits of plastic. Yeah, that's what I thought it would be. But I think if it's like, a, if you see what I mean, manufactured snow globe, I would mm-hmm. assume that it's benzoic acid and not little bits of plastic because the thing with the little bits of plastic is it clings to the outside of the globe it doesn't fall Um, right as for the benzoic acid will actually distribute itself a little bit more like snow it's actually it's not a bad substitute if if you lived in an underwater world i suppose (laughs) how does that deteriorate then so if you had a very old snow globe i mean my main concern with snow globes is that the liquid will leak out Mm. Mm -hmm. in which case you're presumably just left with some white stuff and no liquid. The benzoic acid wouldn't evaporate. So you'd just end up with like a, a snow globe that's naked and full of white stuff. Yeah. So traditionally, we have come up with predictions for the year ahead. Okay. And then the following year, we've talked about those predictions mm. that we made the previous year and talked about how many of those came true. And, and attempt to make some new ones for the year ahead. That's that's mm-hmm. sort of our tradition, really. So last year we had a one-minute, not really one-minute silence, 
for the predictions of 2020. Indeed. There were only four from last year. Understandably, we didn't really want to say much, did we? No, obviously. Indeed. So if we want to revisit our predictions, which we normally do, our um, previous predictions for 2021 included, very cheerily from Chloe, running out of drinkable water so we have to live off port or beer. (laughs) I think I was having a very difficult December. (laughs) were and i'm pleased to say that we still have water but also beer and port yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah i feel like i would definitely say that uh, that didn't come true and i'm very grateful for it same uh we sort of had a re- really ominous general lack of funding one which i oh, can't man. really comment on because actually i think there have been funding pots about and actually i haven't really kept an eye on it so i can't really comment on that one as much as I'd like. There has been funding pots. Um, there have been recovery funds. Yes, mm. there's been actually quite a lot of those. Due to yeah. COVID. We predicted there would be an influx in people setting up as freelancers. And I would say that I have seen that, but I don't have... You have. I don't have firm figures because I don't think anyone's checking. Um, and mm-hmm, and that, isn't, right. that isn't pointing a finger at anyone in particular. It's more of a, I don't think that's something people keep statistics on in our sector. No. And because we see in freelancers just sort of, they've said that they're going to stop and step back. Uh, that, oh, right. That means that we, we sort of don't have a museum freelance thing anymore. That's a pity. It is a pity. So I don't think we have numbers to put to it, but I do feel like I've certainly met a lot of certainly freelancers in the heritage sector at large, but also in conservation uh, who have been setting up as their own thing because there aren't really that many jobs to go for, but they want to mm. stay in the sector. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing it for themselves, which I I do think is brilliant, but is also really hard. And our final sort of prediction for 2021 was that work-life balance will be more important to employers and employees, as in it will be more of a thing in the sector, something people champion, which I think, oh, I'm not sure where I side on, because on the one hand, we do talk about it. On the, on the other hand, I sort of feel like we maybe aren't doing as much of it as we think we are. I feel like we're still doing a lot of here, the five steps to well-being and joy, as opposed to, <laughs> I don't <laughs> Everyone's really tired at this time of year anyway, and people are really, really, really tired this year. So I sort of feel like maybe we haven't really mastered this thing. We're talking about it, which is a step forward, but I don't necessarily know that we're nailing the work-life balance thing (laughs) uh, on a planetary scale. (laughs) Yeah. Do we want to have a go at making some maybe light touch predictions for the year ahead, given that we're not quite sure where it's heading? Yeah. Mm. Should we do one each? Yeah, let's sure. let's try one each. It can be personal. It doesn't have to be changing the world. It can be personal. It's all right. Okay, I think I've got one. I've got one too. Who wants to go first? I'll go first in case someone else pinches mine and then I'll pinch another one. <laughs> do it. <laughs> so my, my prediction for next year is that we will not take for granted being able to meet our friends face to face and meet our family face to face because Mm. I feel like time and time again just when we think things are stabilizing they then unstabilize again Mm. and so yes you know the future being so uncertain is very anxiety provoking for a lot of us but Mm -hmm. the the nice silver lining to that is you know really appreciating what we have and that's definitely something that I've done much more this year than any other is properly appreciating the good things as well yeah so Mm -hmm. i i predict that we will keep that into the future whatever that may hold i like it wonderful all right chloe so mine i tried to make mine work based so while museums are getting busier Mm -hmm. because we're trying to do all the work that we haven't been doing for the last year and a half Mm -hmm. I predict that the private individuals or the community groups with collections or objects that they want conservation work being done on, more of them will seek conservation advice and funding for that conservation work Mm. because of the basically the amount of time people have had to look around at their stuff and think about projects that they want to do and, you know, ways that they want to engage. I like that. Mm. That's very good. I tried not to make it bleak and we're going to run out of water. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have that one again. I'm vetoing it. (laughs) Well, it's still a chance we could run out of food, you know? I mean, sure, but that's not the same thing as water, so you can still have that as a bonus one if you'd like. That's true. No, uh, let's step away from that. Okay. (laughs) 
I will make two predictions, one for the podcast and one for me personally. Oh. Um, I know, I'll be cheeky. Uh, I predict that I will actually put up the goddamn transcripts for the episodes that we've had transcribed by volunteers. Yes! During well lockdown. So that's, that's the one for the podcast. And for myself, I predict definitely jinxing myself that i will at some point in the next 12 months be able to find a workspace where i can set up a <gasps> workshop because yes. i really want that to happen people <laughs> yes it's gonna happen definitely jinxing myself but that's fine at least i'll put it out there for the gods to ignore <laughs> <laughs> thank you both so much for joining me tonight it's been really lovely do you have any particularly christmasy greetings for our listeners don't think about how old your Christmas cake is. Just eat it. <laughs> it's going to be a lovely day. Uh, <laughs> that's all I got. Mine's a cheesy, selfish plug. If you haven't got anyone a Christmas present yet and they like materials, then you should buy them my book for Christmas. Yeah. Yes. And what is your book called? <laughs> it's called Handmade, A Scientist's Search for Meaning Through Making. And it's all about material science and craft and history and stories and cool people <laughs> and where can you get it everywhere that you can get books from perfect brilliant we'll put some links in and also there's a review of that book in one of our previous episodes i will put the link in just so you know yay and uh, i just hope everyone has a really nice christmas uh maybe acid free if you so desire um <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, just look after yourselves. Take this time to look after yourselves because you are more important than your objects. Fact. Oh my God, I love that. You should get a tattoo of that. <laughs> I will end on one final crap joke because I could only manage yes, to please. think of a single cracker level joke this time. Go for it. Why did the bear dissolve in water? I don't know. Why did the bear dissolve in water? Because it was polar. And on that note, <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Happy New Year. support our work then please consider becoming one of our patrons for as little as one dollar per month you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we got that's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event your support also helps keep us free of advertisements 
In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crunched the numbers, and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. That's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. Thanks for listening. We're the C word. You'll be listening to Anna Poshaisky, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jen Mathiason. Join us next year for some more awesome content. And in the meantime, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you so much for being our listeners. In the meantime, you can check out our website at theseawood.show, tweet us at theseawoodpodcast, or simply email us on theseawoodpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under Creative Commons Attribution License. Additional music and sound effects by Ken Robertson, Sound Bible, and Envato Elements. This has been a Wooden Dice production. Christmas cake and Christmas pudding for everyone. There wasn't anything to ruin, don't worry. <laughs> you don't like it? I don't. Oh, Christmas cake wow. is okay, but Christmas pudding I actually find quite challenging. Um, really? Yeah, actually. Um, oh, but it's the perfect vehicle for double cream. <laughs> but I could just have double cream. It's true.